0: So, a our second episode of heart to health Talk, where we discuss health issues concerning youth in Singapore. I'm Tizin, And I'm Yuki. And we are
1: your hosts for our first podcast series, Finding Balance. Today, we will be continuing our journey on finding balance in our lives by discussing the topic of sleep. Speaking of sleep, what time did you sleep last night, Zizine?
0: Well, I slept at 3am. Why so late? I don't normally sleep that late. Normally, I try to sleep by 2am which I know, I know, it's not necessarily an improvement or anything. But I usually tend to sleep with this timing because I started having this habit when I stayed in the hostel in university. And there were all these activities happening and I just ended up sleeping later and later until 2am became the norm for me. I
1: experienced something similar to you. Back when I was younger, like my dad instilled this habit that we have to sleep by 10pm. But gradually in university, when I stayed in hall, it became a norm for us to sleep at. 2am, 3am, 4am, and wake up at 10 or 9 for classes. It affected the way I sleep a lot. One thing is also that our CCA tended to end quite late and start very late also. And that shifted this normative behaviour that we all have in us. Is that something that you experienced as well?
0: Yeah, I felt like when I was among my peers, there was Mm. this implicit attitude, you know, that sleeping as little as possible was pretty normal and that was necessary even.
1: I think mean, just now you mentioned something like you feel
0: guilty for sleeping as well. Is that something that you still experience? Yeah, because as I mentioned earlier, there was all these activities happening. And on top of that, some people were also studying after these activities. So if I slept early, that actually meant that I was losing out on studying somehow and being less productive than other people.
1: Mm. I also have that feeling sometimes when my peers are all studying and they're staying up doing things, but then I'm sleeping, am I wasting time? Am I not doing enough? Should I sacrifice sleep to do other stuff, basically? We slowly begin to value sleep a lot less compared to our other things like social life, our studies, or our activities. And that's something that I experienced in university.
0: I think there is a term for the idea where sleep is valued the least and the first to go. Do you remember what it was?
1: It's health capital, if I'm not wrong. It's where you value sleep the least, and it's always first to go. And I think many, many value the control of time they have over their sleep less.
0: Right, that's interesting. Well, someone well-versed in this topic of sleep and and sleep capital would be Professor Michael Chi, who's here with us today to share with us more.
1: Professor Michael Chi is an expert in the field of sleep deprivation and healthy cognitive ageing. Dr. Chi is director of the, the Centre of Sleep and Cognition, at NUS Lin School of Medicine. On top of that, his publications are widely cited in scholarly journals and mentioned in leading international media, such as the Time Magazine, Economist, and BBC. Welcome, Dr. Chi. Hope you had a good night's sleep and are ready for the podcast today.
2: Pleasure to join you. Nice introduction.
0: Yeah, Professor Chi, so as we were talking earlier, it's quite interesting because among me and my friend, when we're discussing, there's this idea where people are actually aware that they should get seven to nine hours of sleep per day. But then again, we also know that the research shows that most youths in Singapore are sleep-deprived. And among my friends, I know that people are sleeping lesser and lesser. So in your opinion, is it still a realistic expectation to still get around eight hours of sleep per night, given the different demands that are coming in?
2: Well, first, I will begin by saying that sleep is a biological imperative. It's not something you can get around. And perhaps the way I can get people to wrap their heads around this topic is to talk about some contemporary attitudes towards COVID. Now, as you know, how seriously people regard COVID in different countries varies a lot. In Singapore, I think we generally have quite a healthy respect for COVID. Our citizens and people in Singapore generally adhere to public health regulations that serve to limit the spread of COVID. But in some other countries, especially among younger people, there is scant respect for COVID until one of them actually suffers from it. And there have been several instances where young people in ICU or even on their deathbeds have voluntarily testified to their regret about not paying more attention to the situation and they just wanted to share the dire straits they were in. And they warn people, hey, look, you know, I thought this was fake news as well, but in reality, it's real. So I would try to transfer this thinking... To sleep as well. It is so widespread in the natural world in that all animals need sleep. Cells actually have to shut down in order to function optimally. So the culture that you speak about is certainly widespread. I acknowledge that. But people I think are just immersed in a mass self-delusion because there's no way you can talk or argue your way around the necessity for sleep. Now, we can nitpick about how much sleep, how to dispute it, and maybe we have some time to talk about this. But the recommended duration at least 7 hours for adults, it varies from 8 to 10 for adolescents to 7 to 9.
1: Thanks, Prof. It's like a different mindset that you gathered just now. Looking in the COVID perspective to treasure our health a bit more. We were wondering also, what are some factors you think affect sleep quality and sleep quantity?
2: First, in terms of quality, quality is... A separate dimension from duration. So you can have six and a half hours to seven hours of sleep and some nights you feel more rested and other nights you feel less rested with that duration. Now that sense of feeling rested itself has got independent predictive value for health, long-term health. Duration you can control and you can control it by setting aside time for sleep. I think the the number one tip I'll give is you have to recognize that sleep is like physical activity like having an appropriate diet like taking care of your mental well-being it's an essential to health and you just cannot ignore it if you cut it then you ultimately will lose out so it's interesting that many students think that by keeping up with their peers they can somehow become more productive that's actually incorrect firstly systematic research has shown that students who academically better. Our stronger students tend to be the ones who sleep early. In this study in Norway, they found that the secondary school students who slept around 10 did the best. Of the students who slept at 11 or 12, they tended to fare worse. And our preliminary results from Singaporean research has shown pretty much the same. We couldn't get the grade point averages for administrative reasons, but the basic intuition is similar. Secondly, a good number of quite famous people. I think Jeff Bezos was the one who talked about investing in adequate sleep because he said that he could definitely make more decisions per unit time in the morning when he feels uh, fully charged and refreshed. I think that other leaders and influential people, for example, Arianna Huffington, the owner of Huffington Post, you know, had an epiphany where she realized during the time she was looking for colleges for her child, she was so exhausted literally she collapsed and then she realized you know how sleep deprived was and that epiphany led her to write a book about sleep and its importance as well as to start literally a business about promoting sleep adequacy and then the third thing is that beyond all the research that I and others have done to show the importance of sleep for health and well-being now i think even insurance companies are getting on the bandwagon because they realize that Uh, At the end of the day, our insurance premiums will go up if we continue these habits.
1: Yeah, I think I'm really encouraged by the idea that if we get more sleep, we could possibly be the next Jeff Bezos. Actually, sleep does have a lot of benefits. Why do we keep valuing sleep so little and sacrificing sleep when it should be the first thing that helps us to better use of our day or so? We were just wondering also, sometimes when we can't sleep, I think our brain is overstimulated by certain things. Then we were wondering what kind of activities can unknowingly stimulate our brain
2: Sleep is a period where the brain is still active, but it's reprocessing the material that you have encountered or learned during the day. But if you deliberately maintain wakefulness, especially later and later, what you're doing is you're adding to the stimulation, making it harder to shut down. I suspect this is not without some kind of support and that a good number of young people are actually taking some form of stimulants maybe not directly coffee, but Red Bull. So when you accumulate stimulants in the day and some residue remains in your bloodstream and in your brain at night, that also can impact your ability to fall asleep. Then there is the issue of continuous sensory input. If you want to prepare yourself for sleep, if you're going to have to read material, just make it relaxing. Or something that you enjoy. Not like where you, you engage in an intense chat with a friend and then they bring up issues that excite you or annoy you and which you are then kept awake for.
0: I think it's quite interesting that you talked about like, talks with friends that result in your mind being very overstimulated and also the um, chemical stimulants from the earlier study that you mentioned about how students sleeping at 10 p.m. actually ended up doing better. I was wondering if there is a, a cut-off timing that you feel people should sleep by. What about night hours?
2: There is a tendency for young adults to sleep later, but that norm is crazily late in Singapore. So I was just talking to my niece last night. She did her university education in Melbourne. And there, if you go out for a party, it starts at 7. And things are pretty much over by 11 and, or midnight in On weekday nights, people go to bed at about 11-ish on average. This tells us that the tendency to sleep late here is cultural and not biological. Sometime in 2019, we published a report based on 500,000 nights of Fitbit data, and we found that Singaporean and Hong Kong, South Korean users of Fitbit devices compared to their Aussie and Kiwi counterparts slept anywhere from 24 to 64 minutes later each night. And it's this sleeping late habit that's prevalent in East Asia that we believe it's a cultural thing compared to the Aussies and Kiwis. And this is what is resulting in the restricted sleep because the wait times are slightly later in our part of the world, but not significantly later. So that if you take the difference between the bedtime and the wait time, then you have reduced total sleep time, time of made for sleep.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting, this cultural aspect. Because due to the culture in Singapore, there's this hyper-productivity and we, we oh, no, try so to I cram I have
2: to interrupt you. It's, oh, sure. it's not hyper-productivity. It's nonsense. It actually erodes your productivity. We actually address this question very systematically in a series. A series of six studies costing well over a million dollars. What we did was we studied adolescents between 13 to 18 years old. These were conscientious, high-performing adolescents from our local high schools. And we studied about 53 to 57 of them at a the time, they were kept under control conditions in a dormitory for up to two weeks. We exposed them to different schedules of sleep restriction. Now, we did this because of the widespread belief that our adolescents being top of the world in PISA rankings. So PISA is a internationally accepted benchmark for academic achievement for several years in the 20s, 2015 to 2018. Uh, Singapore was right at the top. And it was believed that because we are at the top, there's no problem with the sleep issue. Yes, there's not enough sleep, but it doesn't affect performance. In the first study, we kept the students under two conditions. After a baseline period of nine hours sleep opportunity, after a baseline period, one group was exposed to five hours time in bed for seven successive nights. And the other group maintained sleeping nine hours. So what we found was that there was a progressive decline in vigilance, ability to remain attentive to a stimulus as each night of sleep restriction followed the other. Daytime performance was impaired. There was also a decline in positive mood amongst all the participants. In another study, we restricted the participants to five hours time in bed again, but for five nights, and then they had two nights of recovery sleep, the two nights of recovery sleep did not enable vigilance to be restored to normal. And then upon re-exposure to a second round of sleep restriction for another two nights, we found that the vigilance performance, it didn't start off at the recovery point. It actually got was worse than the end point of the first five nights of recovery sleep. So that's incredible. You all know also the story of the frog being balled gradually, right? If you you put the frog in hot water, it will jump out. But if you re- gradually raise the temperature, you might just be able to, to cook it. Be that as it may, this study also found that despite the steady decline in vigilance, sleepiness increased the a point, so up to about maybe three days of sleep restriction. Then after that, your sense of sleepiness plateaued. So how tired you feel is not a complete reflection of how you're performing. So that's one takeaway. The other thing is we, um, in a series of experiments examining memory, we found that of course the the sleep restriction significantly hurt your ability to encode FACTS which is helped by a nap, an afternoon nap, but there's a caveat to that. Now, after looking at five successive nights, five hours, we looked at 6.5 hours of sleep for five successive nights. And the reason we looked at six and a half hours was because this is the average time our students say they sleep at night. But successive nights of six and a half hours of sleep opportunity are insufficient because again we saw this decline in vigilance performance in these students. And when exposed to the second beat, we saw again this compounding effect on decline in vigilance, although it was less than for the five hours permitted. I mean, it was only when students received eight hours nocturnal sleep opportunity that they were able to perform like the nine hours. So, contrary to the widespread belief that maybe East Asians are special we can somehow do better with less sleep. That's not true.
1: When you mention vigilance, how do you test? Or what are the factors that like, you're looking for when you're testing your vigilance?
2: All right, so the vigilance is mm-hmm. tested by a very standard test that's used to evaluate performance in shift work, in military personnel, etc. It's a reaction time task. So over 10 minutes, you're told to look out for a display that shows running digits and then you're supposed to press a button the instant you recognize the running digits appear. Now the average response time is about 250 milliseconds or a quarter of a second. But in the sleep restricted state, one tends to have more lapses. A lapse is defined as a reaction time that's about twice or more than half a second. Now, a normally well-rested person over that 10-minute trial, when they are exposed to maybe about a hundred of these events, you will get less than maybe two or three lapses. But when you're successfully sleep-deprived over multiple nights, you can go up to 15, 20 lapses. Now, the effect of having these vigilance lapses, people will say, well, I'm not a lorry driver, so I shouldn't be worried. But what happens is that if you are listening to a talk, you're trying to pay attention to a complex idea, you can't follow, you you literally fall asleep, you tune out for a while, and then you lose the track of the idea, and then you can't encode properly.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of not having enough sleep and going for lectures and not catching a thing that the professor said, because I just couldn't concentrate. So it seems like to have this healthy development of the body and the mind, we need to be able to devote some time to studying, devote some time to actually thinking about what we're studying, and devote some time to recreation and rest. Knowing about the idea that sleep depth is very difficult to recover, and that we do actually need enough sleep. I do try to have this intention to sleep early. But then again, there's this gap between my intentions and and actual actions because I'm trying to find this balance between having to devote my time to all of this. Do you feel this culture could be attributed to poor time management or just different prioritization of needs and wants?
2: The last two points you made are one and the same. It's about time management. So, in order to have time to sleep you have to make time to sleep what you make time for is what you value so if you don't value sleep very much you you won't make time for it and you'll find excuses for not sleeping enough as i mentioned my niece in melbourne was able to get good sleep in a different country but when coming back to singapore you're under social pressure to sleep less with the false belief that it's somehow critical to maintain productivity So I I would just like to remind the audience that the military actually uses sleep deprivation as a form of torture. The U.S. military actually, several years ago, there was two successive incidents involving naval accidents that led to a serious loss of life. The investigations found that the commanders and the men were very, very fatigued because they had to do extra duties to cover for a lack of employment in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, the army itself, which is always talking about this macho habit of if you are a strong he-man, you don't need sleep. They've revised that to actually include napping and getting adequate sleep for commanders so that they don't, to use the Singaporean term, self-sabot, shoot themselves in the foot or in the heads, literally and practically, and to make better decisions i think our culture has this tendency to say you need to be seen to work quality it's hard for people to to appreciate that's completely incorrect when managers take this ethos results in wasting productivity i think this is something that if singapore wants to unlock human potential it really has to pay attention to having said that i will say that the procrastination of sleep i'm sure both of you have resolutions try to exercise and try to eat a healthy diet but you also fall short similarly this happens with sleep. But if we take our health seriously, because we recognise that the same discipline that you might apply to studying, if applied to health, will eventually give you the same results that you're driving towards, this could lead to network-wide change. And when it does occur, people will be wondering, why didn't we do this earlier?
1: Just about what Prof said, it hit me quite a bit when you talk about the military also. Because my brother just finished serving the nation and he came out saying things like, sleep is for the weak. And when I heard it, I was quite appalled by what he said because I do recognise that sleep is actually very valuable. I was wondering also, Prof, when you mentioned about COVID-19 way earlier on just now, we know that COVID-19 has resulted in very disrupted routines and ongoing uncertainty that are contributing to a change in our sleep. How do you think sleeping patterns in Singapore have changed as a result of this COVID-19 situation?
2: We actually have data for this. A group of just under 2,000 white collar workers in the Way district were wearing sleep tracking devices during their participation in the healthy SG study. These were participants recruited by the Health Promotion Board for a health study. And we were very fortunate to be able to follow them in the year before the pandemic and compare their sleep behavior into the first period of lockdown in April 2020 right through to June 2020, and what we found is that there was quite some divergence in how people responded, but on the average, for sleeping about maybe an hour, hour and a half later, they were waking up later as well. So where they were recovering the time from was from commuting. That cohort spent about 110 minutes a day commuting. So of the 110 minutes saved, they were allowing for 35 minutes more time in bed of which 17 was recovered for actual sleep. So there was some benefit to sleep. Although people slept a lot later, the sleep was a bit more regular, so that was good. But following the lockdown, this pattern of sleep unwound. Now, what was interesting is that there was 110 minutes more a day. It was good that people spend a bit more time sleeping, but physical activity on the whole dropped off by as much as 40% on average. So there was very significant changes to health habits. Now, just an informal poll, because we were not allowed to ask exactly how the time was used in these persons. We suspect that because a persons with the least improvement in sleep and Greatest drop in physical activity tended to be young single adults. They were probably on more Zoom calls than usual. So that's the story for the white collar workers in Shenton Way. In summary, longer sleep duration, but later, more regular sleep, but reduced physical activity on average. Now there were people who maintained their schedule, and we all know of people who actually got healthier, who lost weight during the lockdown. But they tended to be of a certain class of people, generally older, socioeconomically advantage and positionally higher up the hierarchy. So they know what's good for them. Now, as for NUS students, we had another study. We studied about 200 students and staff in NUS. The data is not published, but what we found is that the persons who used their e-devices right until bedtime, they were the ones who tended to sleep as late as 3.30 in the morning and get up at 11. Of course, some of this behavior unwound during phase two, but the people who got better sleep were those who tended to show reduced use of uh, e-devices at least one hour before bedtime.
0: You just mentioned some factors about the quality of sleep. What do you feel are some factors that could improve the quality of sleep apart from reducing the use of electronic devices before sleep?
2: Quality of sleep, meaning your subjective self-report on, on sleep quality, I think being in a good place in terms of mental well-being is important for that. If you're stressed, you're depressed, you're anxious, some of these you don't have control over will associate with poor sleep quality. Now, to the extent you can do something about these, this is pretty personal to everyone, manage your worries and anxieties. It's easier to say than to actually do. If you come to the point where you think you can't cope, I think you should, you should seek uh, professional help, not be shy to do so. For most normal people, you will have ups and downs in sleep quality. Some variation is natural.
1: Just now Prof mentioned how in COVID, the sleep duration may have extended, but it carried on to be a, a bit later timing now. So I was wondering, as a night hour, how do we adapt better to a 9 to 5 world? Because ultimately, they still want us to wake up early. Do I have to force myself to change my sleep schedule to sleep earlier? Or is there a way that I can go about handling this?
2: In short, yes. I will put it this way. If you consider a triangle, I I mentioned four things, but if you think of sleep, physical exercise and diet as the three key elements of lifestyle that you can adjust, enabling you to live a healthier, longer, better life, you would pay attention to sleep as well. The thing with food is that there are people like fattish diets and marketeers make a fortune selling fancy diets people try hey have you heard about this diet But at the end of the day you can see that people vary in the results most people who have a certain weight generally stick to that and benefit for a limited time if you don't already have a certain weight and yes there are stories where people have sustained weight loss but they generally are the minority with sleep that seems to be only one dimension right you can only sleep but the paradoxical thing about it is that there's one dimension to it. You make time to sleep, but you have multiple benefits. You're less crabby. You're nicer to be with. You think more clearly. Your memory and coding is definitely better. You're more vigilant. You're generally more fun to be around with. You become a better, more productive employee, so it's worth investing in Hearing
1: you say the benefits and stuff, I think I'm more encouraged to try to change my lifestyle.
0: Previously, Prof already emphasised the importance of just sleep. Sleep quantity, we need to sleep that 7 hours of sleep. Research has proven it. His own studies have proven it. We cannot compromise on that. And I was wondering, earlier you also mentioned about sleep quality. Is anyone more important than the other? And how do we achieve this middle ground?
2: First, I wouldn't put these things as completely separate. If you make time for sufficient sleep and you are in an environment that allows for good sleep, you tend to have more satisfying sleep. So the usual advice that's given, I would say the top piece for local listeners is you need to adjust bedtime earlier because that's the number one tip. The second one is have a bit of a schedule. You have a weekday, weekend difference in bedtime of more than an hour, hour and a half. That's not ideal. Not only does it affect your cognition and mental state, it can also affect your metabolic health, your risk for diabetes in the long term. Third thing is have a wind down routine. Avoid toxic conversations, tense conversations, overstimulation. Be in an environment that encourages sleep, low light, quiet, decent temperature, anywhere from 24-25 degrees is optimum. If you don't have a heavy meal before bedtime, do not take any stimulants before you go to bed. And alcohol, contrary to what people think, does not help sleep. In fact, it interferes with sleep. And then get a dose of exercise that will help this physical and mental well-being, good exposure to natural light in the morning, which helps synchronize your clock.
1: Okay, I think we can give a few of them a try this time around. I hope that we try to have this habitual thing in our, ourselves. as so. well. There's a lot of YouTube gurus out there that recommend mindfulness and meditation, yoga, stretching. Is that something you recommend as well?
2: These measures essentially detach you from the worries of the moment. So whatever method you have to do that, mindfulness, it's one of the things you could do. Muscle relaxation therapy, for example, when you sequentially tighten up and then relax your muscles, that's also works. There's some variation in that, but the common feature is to have a routine that you will find helpful in allowing you to relax, to feel safe and comfortable, bring your levels of arousal down.
0: I think I have tried it before and it did work. Like the mindfulness to try to detach myself from my problems, it really helped me to have a better sleep. Thank you for your sharing. We have come to the end of our discussion. We really learned a lot on how important sleep is and what are some factors that do affect sleep and the culture surrounding sleep in Singapore. But before we conclude, it's time for some rapid fire questions. At the end of every episode, we'll be asking three questions related to health for our guests to share your bits of wisdom on health. All right, Prof. G, let's begin. In one line, what does health mean to you?
2: It means being free from disease, of course, first, but also being in an optimal physical, mental, and spiritual state.
0: Next question, what is one bad health habit you'd want to be rid of?
2: I have insomnia, and that's why I'm so passionate about, about sleep because I personally experience the downsides of having occasional bad nights of sleep. For me, as a professor and someone who is a researcher, I need to have a clear mind to be able to direct activities and to think of normal ideas. It's literally money to me to be able to uh, have a clear mind. So in terms of habits, I do get carried away sometimes when I look up stuff. All the advice I give, sometimes I say, well, you have to, I have to listen to it myself more often.
0: I do hope you get a better night's sleep. Yes. Last question. What is one health habit that you would swear by?
2: I wouldn't swear by any single habit. It's a constellation of getting enough sleep, eating well and and getting enough exercise and taking care of the mental environment you're in. I try to limit my exposure to toxic people, try to enjoy the outdoors, get enough physical activity every day, interact with young people like you to get fresh insights for me too.
1: Thank you. We did gain a lot of insights mm. from you too. My pleasure. Chi, thanks for taking time off your busy schedule. We are really, really honoured to have you with us here today. And we hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we
2: did. It's great to have this opportunity. And I, I thank you guys for reaching out and seeking to create better awareness. Thanks, Steve. Prof.
0: Thank thanks, you. Prof. Bye-bye. Bye. Now I know that the idea of hyper-productivity is honestly nonsense. And I'll do my best to have a regular sleep cycle. After the discussion with Prof Shi, is there anything you would like to change in your life, Yuki?
1: I think for me, I would like to change my triangle of lifestyle habits on, I think Prof mentioned diet, physical activity and sleep for the better. As a night owl, I also want to adjust my sleep schedule to fit a 9 to 5 life, which typical Singaporeans have. I hope that by improving my sleeping habits, I can actually become more creative, innovative and be a better conversationalist.
0: Well, I did think our conversations were getting a little stale. For our listeners, I hope you did get to pick up some tips for better night sleep. If you want to find out more about sleep or join the conversation, follow us at our social media platforms at Heart to Health Talk. That's at Heart to Health Talk, where additional resources and nuggets of wisdom can be found. Hope to catch you in our next episode. Bye.